Okay, let's see how these sound because you can't start a school year without some ready-made excuses for not doing your homework. Number one, my dog ate it. That's a pretty reliable standard. Number two, my gorilla ate my dog. Who ate it? Might as well swing for the fences. Number three, I ate it. To really make this one hit home, you should come into class with tons of snacks and keep eating them. And number four, well, I don't have a dog, and if I did, he wouldn't have eaten it. And to be honest with you, I just forgot. <sighs> that sounds really lame, huh? Well, this will not sound lame. This episode, the return of the Bankadelic Bank to School podcast, our third annual, in fact, with five, oh yeah, five guests. Pulling up to the head of the class, we have Jeff Kraboski, the CEO of Epic River, Ben Bays, Vice President of Enterprise Solutions at Praxent, Brian Cass, President and Managing Director at True Stage Ventures, Stephen Curry, CEO, Endurance Advisory Partners, and Chris Kovacs, President and CEO at Constellation Digital Partners. I think they're all A students, and they're about to prove it. They don't need any excuses, like I do, for not turning in their homework because they are prepped and ready to go here on Bankadelic. Okay, and we're going to start the podcast off with the ever-popular icebreaker question. Speaking of excuses, what was the best excuse you ever came up with or a friend came up with for not turning in a homework assignment or paper? And let's start off with you, Jeff. Take it away. No excuses. Thanks, Lou. This is Jeff Grabowski. I'm the CEO of Epic River. Formed Epic River about 17 years ago to ensure community financial institutions can continue being who they are while capitalizing on their community connections. They're able to provide digital lending through our platform to borrowers whenever and wherever they are. In particular, we're very proud of our patient lending platform and our community banks that have really solved the growing problem of healthcare affordability. So as far as the best excuse I ever came up with, I don't know if it's a great excuse, but it worked. And it was college. It was a Tuesday night and it turned into more drinking than was the plan. And found myself in class the next morning and did not realize that I had missed an assignment. And when the professor asked me to come up and discuss the assignment I was supposed to have done, I just looked him dead in the eyes and told him I drank too much last night and I'm really hungover now. <laughs> and after what seemed like a month long pause, he looked me in the eyes, started giggling and said, go sleep it off and keep your drinking for the weekend. So it wasn't great, but it certainly worked. <laughs> I was the biggest lightweight in college, like two beers and I was under the table, which you would think podcast hosts, right? We're hard drinkers, but... <laughs> Okay, Ben. Hi. So I'm Ben Bays from Praxent, VP of Enterprise Solutions. And at Praxent, we work 
primarily with clients in the financial services space, helping them with custom digital experiences, software development, integrations, and really kind of across all segments, all sizes, lending, banking, et cetera. My story on best excuse, it's less of an excuse and more an act of spite. I was freshman year of high school and was really excited, very passionate about software development, and was lucky that the school had four levels. First day in, I got lost on a new campus, was late to class, and the teacher wanted to make an example of me. I was mad. So instead of doing the homework assignment, I ended up introducing myself to software development too. I went home that night, did everything I could to test out of it and did. So when I showed up the next day, instead of having that software assignment done, I had a transfer slip and a smile on my face that I wouldn't have to deal with him anymore. <laughs> That's about the most crafty end around I have ever heard. Brian, take it away. This is Brian Koss. I'm the president and managing director of True Stage Ventures. We're the corporate venture capital arm of True Stage, formerly known as CUNY Mutual Group. But we invest in fintech companies. We've invested over $350 million into a portfolio of 50 plus companies and really have a mission of trying to bring fintechs and financial institutions together through collaborative opportunities. I wish it was an excuse rather than a true story, but first I think Jeff and I may have gone to the same college because we have at least somewhat related stories. I was a senior working on my take-home final. This is back in the days of typewriters when suddenly the house that I lived in with 16 guys was raided by the local police and DEA. They turned <laughs> off all the electricity and the plumbing, forced everybody out of the house while they tried to search for some illegal substances that apparently one of the tenants had. So I had to go to my professor and basically said, I'm locked out of my house and can't get in there until the police leave. Yeah, I don't know if he quite chuckled, but definitely a very humiliating experience to say the least. <laughs> I just hope it wasn't your illegal substance. It was not me. Yeah, and for the record, they actually did not find anything. But we did have to kick one of the guys out of the house after that incident. Wow, wow. Stephen, your turn. Thank you. Yeah, that's Stephen Curry. I'm with Endurance Advisory Partner. This is a firm that we founded about 15 years ago, and we provide advisory services to financial institutions, mostly banks, but mortgage companies and others as well. And we provide insights on everything from mergers and acquisitions and strategic planning to risk management and technology. So we work a lot with banks and fintechs both. And in response to the question here, so you know, the best excuse I ever came up with, it was very effective in a sad sort of way. I told my high school teacher that I had found my dog hit by a car on the way home from school and I had to go to the vet and I didn't get back until late that night. Now, he didn't know that I didn't have a dog. But that's a separate matter. It worked, you know? <laughs> oh. And Chris. Hello, Lou. Thanks for having me on. I'm Chris Kovacs, the founder and CEO of Constellation Digital Partners. We are an open development platform that connects community-based financial institutions and fintechs. And we help in the delivery of those fintech services 
inside solutions and applications provided by the institutions themselves. So super excited. Thanks for having me here. Answering the question, I thought about this and really the best excuse I ever saw was not my own because I wasn't quick enough to come up with it. But I actually saw somebody one time cite the school district standards for the total amount of homework a student is supposed to have. Hmm. There are standards that say, for example, a junior in high school should have two hours of homework an evening or three hours of homework an evening. This person walked in and cited and said, in order to stay compliant with the standards the school district has set, I had to stop working and was unable to complete the assignment in the allotted time. <laughs> totally legal. And we wouldn't want to be violating the law, right? So Certainly. amen to that. <laughs> anyway, on with the show here. And we're going to start off with... A question that I am looking forward to every answer here because this has been really an unprecedented year in terms of financial services. We had Silicon Valley Bank. We have had interest rates going up and up and up. There has been a lot of tussle in terms of whether regulators are doing their job or not doing their job. And now there's talk of new regulations being imposed on regional and smaller banks that many people find to be draconian or not necessary. So a lot going on. The floor is open for this question. What's been the teachable moment for financial services so far this year? Hi, this is Steven. So the one experience that we see very commonplace right now is MRAs that banks are receiving for liquidity and to an extent, capital and governance issues. And it all is focused on pivots on risk, risk management, enterprise risk management, asset and liability management. It's a little bit of an expansion on what you mentioned earlier with regards to SVB, but that's a very common theme. And then, you know, we also see internal controls related to fintech businesses. So a lot of activity with the regulators in the markets. This is Jeff from Epic River. I couldn't agree more. We've seen a lot of that same risk adjustment happening. For me, it feels like a teachable moment. You know, it's been a long time since rates have gone up this steadily. And it seems like rate risk and what that brings with deposits going elsewhere, that seems to be the teachable moment as financial institutions have started turning over their management to people who maybe weren't in an executive role the last time this happened. There seems to be a lot of learning going on there. This is Stephen. You know, Jeff, I'd just echo your teachable moment with one other point, which is I think the teachable moment is all those free and easy deposits you got during COVID, they're going away. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'll jump in there as well. Ben Bay's here. So kind of add on like the community banks and credit unions and what we've been seeing going on there. It's certainly been significant growth, very fast growth, especially for those that are doing banking as a service rollouts and exposing new capabilities in conjunction with fintechs. And with that growth, there's becoming more and more consent orders and MRAs. Also seeing regional banks struggle with the amount of activity, an overwhelming amount of things they need to do at once from new digital experiences with personalization or changing their core or modernizing their APIs for open banking, bringing it down to basics. I think the teachable moment for me is slowing down to speed up 
not ignoring your foundation and really taking a look at your processes, redefining them, looking for automation opportunities, eliminating tribal knowledge, and really just measuring everything you're doing to make sure that you have the foothold and the processes necessary to really scale out as you go along. Hi, this is Chris. I want to build on what Ben just said. I think it's really important that as banks and credit unions are adopting digital technology, they understand that they have to expand that to also optimizing their back office services, right? That if you leave the back office as an analog experience, you're going to give a terrible experience to your customer or your member, right? The reality is I actually applied for a credit card not too long ago. And having gone through a really cool fintech that I know validated my income with my payroll provider, at the end, the lender still asked me for two years of tax returns. And it's like, wait a minute, you just did all of this new fancy fintech work integrating this new service, but you're still relying on old analog back office services. And honestly, it doesn't give a very good customer experience. This is Brian Koss with True Sage Ventures. Maybe I'll take a look at things from the fintech side of the world. I think one teachable moment for many founders is the fact that money doesn't grow on trees and developing a path to profitability really matters in terms of raising capital from investors. It's been a tough year for many startup companies as they look for funding sources. And I think it really highlights more than ever the importance of bringing in strategic capital that can help drive growth, solve some of the pain points, and really that will be committed to helping these companies navigate through hard times. I think the flip side for financial institutions I see that the gap between maybe where some of the big banks and their capabilities and smaller financial institutions, you know, continuing to grow. And so the financial institutions really need to embrace these fintech partnerships just to stay competitive and relevant as we move further into the digital world. This is Jeff with Epic River. Brian, I just want to put a little color on what you said about the availability of capital. I'm part of a CEO group. And what we've found is the CEOs that founded their companies in the last six years have had a wildly different experience than those of us who have older companies. Because like you said, money did grow on trees for about the last 10 years. And it's a very different experience now. Fabulous classroom discussion here. I love the interaction. I'm taking lots of notes. Here's to my passing the test later on. In the meantime, I would love to hear what you all feel in terms of what part of the industry or what new wrinkle deserves to make the honor roll in 2023. Ben Bays here. So for me, look back a couple years ago, two, three, four years ago, and I remember walking into an expo hall at a conference and finally seeing customer experience appear in the financial services industry. And it seemed like overnight, like it went from not being acknowledged all that much to being the most prominent message on every company's marketing and banners across their booth. So my inner role is kind of an extension to that. It's taking that experience, but really looking at the employee experience, the developer experience, and connecting that back to the basics and building the foundation to be able to scale. To me, it's critical because it looks at all of your activities, your process from the point of view from the people doing the work. 
identify gaps, inefficiencies, of course, potential for human error, looking at organizational models and really asking questions of where should risk and compliance sit relative to the teams? Should they move left and closer to the dev team, similar to how operations and security and quality assurance have? There's a spotlight on companies that are doing it right with great documentation like Stripe and Solid and a lot of new tooling appearing to help automate a lot of the really complex governance around complex controls and making that more accessible to reduce costs to, again, kind of help that foundation and be able to scale up. This is Jeff with Epic River. I'm going to harken back to something Ben said earlier. It's tribal knowledge. I would put every bank on the honor roll that has acknowledged tribal knowledge and tried to find systems to supplant the concept that somebody at the bank has to know how to do those things and know what those workflows are and instead putting systems in place to handle it because then it becomes a lot easier to scale people up or like we've seen this year down. This is Steven. I think that's a really good point. You know, one of the challenges that we face now is, you know, there are a lot of banks with complex manual processes that can't be automated in the way that they've always done them. And so they also are hard to teach or train and nobody wants to do some of those jobs anymore. So automation and buying a new system, you accept the change of embracing it and making it part of your platform is a critical part of the solution. Yeah, this is Brian Koss. Just to build on you know, Stephen's comments, I mean, certainly we see some real hot spots in new financial technology, especially those companies leveraging AI and machine learning. And three or four years ago, those were more buzzwords than substance. But now, you know, companies really are leveraging this technology to drive innovation into large financial institutions. And we're seeing more financial institutions embrace that. So definitely see that as a part of the industry that certainly can score an A here, where maybe there are some other financial institutions that have fallen behind and have a C and need to pull that up over the next 12 months. Yeah, I think AI is going to be critical really to the survival of the industry because the industry is going to be held to a much more difficult level of accountability than it was in the past. And you're going to need more sophisticated analytical tools. And at the same time, you have a contracting labor market. And so you've got to be willing to automate some things that maybe you didn't before. So AI would be the poster child in terms of where things are headed. Ben Bayes here. Both the AI and the automation there are critical ingredients as companies really need to streamline and do more with less. Bringing up the tribal knowledge again, a lot of times you see employees at institutions spend 10 times the amount of time trying to figure out how to do something as opposed to just being able to do it. And it's just lack of availability of information. This is Jeff with Epic River. One of the things that I think Chris mentioned earlier is you got to experience those positive integrations that are starting to happen. That's a great candidate for the honor roll is when the integrations happen to pull your salary history. That's great. Obviously, the second half of your story is the part that still needs to be cleaned up. This is Chris. I think that leads to part of what I would cite in my honor roll, right, is that I feel like most community-based institutions are playing uphill with new technologies and demands from customers and members flowing downhill at us. And we're trying to catch as much as we can and keep pace with our competitors. 
if I was going to hand out A's, I'd hand them out to the companies that are really going out on a limb and saying, hey, what does the organization look like in 2030? What does it look like in 2035? And start designing from a first principle standpoint, what does community-based financial services look like? How is it delivered? Because I think what it'll help uncover are some of the bad practices, some of the habits we have today, and instead get us thinking you know, in a whole blank sheet of paper exercise around what the future is. I know there's some people out there doing it, And I think it's going to really benefit the industry long-term. This is Brian Koss. Just to build on one other point that Chris made, I think when we look ahead to what do financial services look like 10 years from now? I mean, we're a big believer in sort of the growing significance of embedded finance and some large retailers all the way to smaller retails really having a more influential impact on where people obtain loans or have other financial services. And so how do we plug in traditional banks and credit unions into those platforms is going to be vitally important. And you know, we're starting to see financial institutions get really creative to partner with some of those players. Hi, this is Steven. So you know, I think the big challenge for financial technology is internal controls and regulatory compliance. The regulators are making it clear that compliance cannot be outsourced by the bank. The banks are accountable for everything that even their clients are doing with their data. And so that implies a much higher threshold of oversight and stronger controls, a more robust auditing framework, things like that, both for banks as well as their fintech partners. Yeah, fabulous. Again, really love the points that you're touching on customer experience, AI machine learning, first principle design, embedded finance, and compliance. Wow. Maybe we can tack on even more with the last question. And that would be just to give us a sense of what you're dedicating the next year to in terms of learning, growing, and earning more straight A's. Now, this is Stephen. From my perspective, and in particular working with clients, I think the number one priority, as challenging as it may be, is regulatory compliance. I think this is the year of the regulator, and that makes it a hard year for banking. So strategy, technology, have to take something of a backseat until we work through this round of compliance. But I think that's got to be the focus of the industry for making straight A's is get the responses back to your regulators, get the infrastructure improved, get your controls in place, you know, double check everything. And they'll be in a much better position for growth going forward. This is Brian Cost. Certainly from our standpoint, we're going to be focused on learning more about where the consumer trends are headed when it comes to engaging with financial institutions and, you know, trying to project and predict where the market is going to be heading over the next five to 10 years and investing in companies that we think will be leading the way. I think we're also going to continue to expand the ecosystem that we've built through True Stage Ventures and our FinTech Forum to bring FinTechs and financial institutions together and in large part to really kind of focus on technology that can help more consumers achieve financial security and resilience in a increasingly challenging world. Brian, do you see consolidation in the fintech world? Are you seeing that happening? 
I do expect some consolidation. We are seeing companies now looking and acting on acquisition opportunities. So there will be some of that. I think we're also seeing some larger financial institutions and technology providers acquiring a lot of these companies at, in some cases, you know, discounted valuations from a year ago. This is Chris. I would say that if I'm thinking about next year, I think we're going to make artificial intelligence less of a buzzword and more about the specific application of it. One of the challenges and I see kind of in parallel back to the internet is when the internet first started, we talked about the internet, right? We don't talk about the internet anymore. We talk about specific digital applications of the internet in order to solve problems. I think the next year is going to see us start to have some of those same conversations in regards to artificial intelligence, right? We're going to start talking about how do we make service delivery more efficient? How do we support the risk management controls inside of our organizations? How do we make operations more efficient? How do we create entirely new products and make those available? I think the really exciting thing is the application of artificial intelligence to solve problems, to help us get efficient, to help us earn revenue, and at the same time, drive customer satisfaction. This is Jeff with Epic River. I couldn't agree more, Chris. I think that's a really good way to think about it. The internet versus, you know, what the software does that runs on the internet. And for me, I'll definitely rest easy and give myself straight A's. If I can spend the year shattering the concept that conservative has to mean antiquated. I think, unfortunately, in the community financial world, too often the banks and people implementing technology at banks fall back on, oh, we're a very conservative industry. It's a very conservative bank. But I don't think conservative and antiquated have to go together in this case. You can have the greatest software and data available and make very conservative decisions based off of it, but the platform shouldn't necessarily be so conservative. And Jeff, you know, in my experience, that's been a hurdle to overcome for us too. What I think banks don't necessarily understand is it's not just their operations, but it's their data. Without a modern core and high quality data, they're not going to be able to utilize artificial intelligence or, you know, a lot of just automation, you know, the financial intelligence systems that help you track liquidity and cash flows and the things that we have to do today, let alone what your customers are doing. That's, I think, a big missed opportunity. And a lot of the banks don't see that yet, but I think it, it will become more visible over the course of the next few years. Ben Bates here, I wanted to chime in and maybe tie together a few things that really interest me between Chris and Jeff and Stephen, what you've been talking about there, particularly with compliance and regulators. A lot of the headwinds I'm hearing with regulators is that there's beginning to be a preference for the cloud, the fear is starting to die down. And a lot of that preference is starting to form because everything's automated. You can really remove that human error that might occur and be more predictable, more succinct in the systems that you deploy and manage out there. Particularly with compliance and the AI, that's something I'm really excited about, trying to get as much information as I can and continue my learnings this year on how things like generative AI may have compliance around them. How can you generate content that can also be controlled and maybe be trusted in what, in terms of what's being reported back for fraud monitoring or even given back to users on information related to their accounts? Wow. 
if I can have a podcast like this one where there is so much interplay, back and forth, cross-discussion, I'm going to feel like I deserve A's all the way around. You guys were an absolutely stellar panel. I learned a lot. I've got a lot more to learn. That's part of the fun of being the host of Bankadelic. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, Lou. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Lou. School days, school days, dear old golden rule days. Well, there you have it. Another Bankadelic Bank to School episode is on the books. And hey, another nine months till we can get Alice Cooper to sing Schools Out for us here. And what a trip to hang out with five valedictorians in the making. Jeff Grabowski, the CEO of Epic River. Ben Bays, Vice President of Enterprise Solutions at Praxent. Brian Cass, President and Managing Director at True Stage Ventures. Stephen Curry, the CEO at Endurance Advisory Partners. And Chris Kovacs, President and CEO at Constellation Digital Partners. I want to thank some very special people for making this podcast possible. Our producer in Chicago, Ken Montone. Our sponsors, the William Mills Agency, Banker Hire, Lemonade LXP, and Talking Biz News. And of course, at William Mills, we have the Zarina of our special episode podcasts. The one and only Catherine Laws. We love you, Catherine! As ever, our business consigliere in Austin, Texas, Rob Gaynor. Dude, I totally got into the show. Special shout out as well to our podcast brothers in arms in London, Dave Wallace and Darmesh Mystery of Dave and Darm Demystify. Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Homework today provided by Ms. Crab Apple and Mr. Meany and... In case you want to check out more episodes, the Bankadelic Archive is full, and you can study up at the SoundCloud page or Apple Podcast page for Bankadelic. Until next time, get cramming. I'm going to get jamming. Lou Carlozo signing off. Class dismissed. Soon I'll be learning so much more And soon you'll be adding 12 and 8 I think school is gonna be great Bankadelic is a production of NMD+, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas. You can't start a school year without some ready-made excuses for not doing your homework. My gorilla ate my dog. Who ate it?